welcome to the first episode of the To Comply or Not To Comply podcast. I am your host, AJ Yan, and I'm super excited to share with you all this first recording of this new podcast I'm starting with Hacker Valley Studio. On this episode, I'm joined by Frederick Lee, also known as Flea, who's currently the Chief Security Officer at Gusto. Flea's been in the industry for over 15 years. He's a good friend of mine, someone I consider a mentor. And in this episode, we got real. We talked about authenticity. We talked about his career. We talked about our compliance and security opposing forces and really talked a lot about leadership and what should security leadership do to help grow their teams, grow the business and allow security to not be a blocker. Hope you all enjoy this conversation. I'm excited for you all to get to know Flea a little bit more. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the first episode of To Comply or Not To Comply. I am your host, AJ Yan, the founder and CEO of ByteCheck, the only all-in-one compliance automation solution in the industry. Today, I'm joined by my friend, mentor, and security leader, Flea, currently the chief security officer at Gusto. Flea, thanks for joining me on this episode. Dude, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on, and, and I'm honored to be one of your first guests, man. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, this is the special episode. This is the first one ever. I'm sure when I come back and listen to this a year from now or two years from now, I'm going to say, man, I had no clue what I was doing, but we're going to have a good time today. And we're recording this at an interesting time, you know, right in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's that weird time of the year. So I got to ask a really important question for us to get started, Flea. Favorite holiday, Thanksgiving or Christmas? Oh, wow. You know, I'm going to go with Christmas. Actually, I'll tell you why. Mostly because during Christmas, there's normally snow and I like to snowboard. That, that's literally the only reason. That's the only reason. Now, logically, I'll tell you this. Thanksgiving actually makes more sense to me as a holiday because Thanksgiving is one of those holidays where it's all about celebrating what you're happy that you have in your life, et cetera. And, and I think that actually is a little bit more important than, you know, celebrations of giving each other gifts, et cetera, et cetera. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I enjoyed the food of Thanksgiving, but now that I got two little ones and they're really getting into the Christmas spirit, we got Elf on the Shelf, Santa no. Claus, all these things going on. So I'm I'm excited because this is the first year that they're like, man, I got to get presents. They're asking for specific things. So Christmas is now going to be fun for me for the foreseeable future with the little ones. But uh, you're saying that because we're not teenagers yet. You have to remember that <laughs> the, the prices of those presents, you know, increase as they get older. <laughs> That's why I'm working so hard. <laughs> but for the people that are not familiar with you, Flea, can you give us a quick you know, overview of your background and what you're up to today? Yeah, yeah. So um, for those that aren't familiar with me, my, my government name is Frederick Lee. Everybody calls me Flea. I'm currently the chief security officer of Gusto, um, which is a, a people platform. We actually deal a lot with helping small and medium-sized businesses deliver all the benefits, payroll, experiences, et cetera, that you actually want to have for your employees to make sure they have a fulfilling life. Prior to Gusto, I ran security at another fintech company called Square. Um, and then prior to that, I also led security at NetSuite as well as started security at Twilio. So this is actually just a long way of saying that I'm old and I've kind of like I've been there, been around the block a couple of times, but I'm always actually learning and interested in actually, you know, doing something new. Um, one of the things I'm really excited about right now is like some of the things we're actually doing around data protection here at Gusto, trying to push the boundaries on some of the things related to uh, privacy and also push the boundaries around things related to, believe it or not, compliance, how to actually do that in a more agile way, in a more, what I would like to say, more humane way, meaning that making the compliance experience inside of our company, for those that have to participate in it, 
easier, gentler, and to some extent, maybe even enjoyable. So. A truly amazing career that, you know, could only be possible by hard work, strong network, and I think living out your values is is what I've seen and heard from anybody that's talked to you. That you and in security, I think you really can't make it far and do all the cool things that you have done without just being a good person uh, because this industry is so small. You can easily be found out if you're not. And I recently saw you, you published an article in, in Fortune titled, No, I Will Not Help Your Company That's Actively Hurting Employees of Color. And I encourage everyone that's listening to look up this article. It'll be in the show notes. And I thought it was really powerful and, and sent a powerful message to corporations that their actions and treatments of people of color will impact their business. Why was that important for you to write and to share that message? Part of it actually was trying to make sure that other people actually knew that money is not the only thing, right? Like you can't buy integrity. And if I give up my integrity to go collect a couple of dollars or a couple of, you know, cryptocurrency coins or whatever, I have to live with that the rest of my life. And, and then even more so, I recognize the people that made sacrifices for me to allow me to get where I am. My parents went to segregated schools. And, you know, I have a lot of mentors and things like that, that, you know, went from HBCUs, et cetera. And it wasn't necessarily like, I love HBCUs, but part of the reason for them for going to HBCUs is that it wasn't an option to go somewhere else. And so taking care of our community and actually building that up is deeply important to me. But it's also deeply important to me that companies are actually really here to benefit society and actually be part of the community that they are participating in, or at least they say that they're participating in. And that means taking care of the entire community. It also means allowing your employees to bring their full selves to work. Because when you can actually bring your full self to work, you can actually be more performant. That's less stress you have to worry about. When you think about the mental overhead that somebody has to endure when they're actually trying to maybe, for example, like, oh, m maybe they are LGBTQ and they're trying to be in the closet because of politics at work. Well, that's mental overhead that the business is actually losing out on. Fundamentally, from a capitalist standpoint, it's actually dumb to actually be bigoted. It's dumb to actually have these weird policies. But fundamentally, for me, it was just, it's the right thing to do. And I want to make sure that if there is like a little flea out there or a fleaette out there, et cetera, that they also know that they don't have to capitulate to these companies just to get money and that they can actually be successful while also living their values. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. And, and we do this thing at Bite Check called Question of the Day. We have a Slack channel called Question of the Day where we just ask people for some views on life. And, and we had our anniversary a few weeks ago and we were asking people, why do they enjoy working at Bite Check? Why did they join this, this crazy startup at this stage? And a lot of our team members said because they get to be themselves at work because they get to feel like they truly don't have to put on a different face to come to work. And I know for me, I struggled with that early on in my career. You know, starting in the army, I had to be Captain Yon or Lieutenant Yon all the time. I never was AJ. And then when I got out, I thought I would get fired if I did anything wrong. So <laughs> I was always buttoned up. And, and now I'm really, you know, as a founder, stepping into my own personality and being proud of my beliefs and being truly opinionated. Talk to me a little bit about your journey to feeling comfortable to, to, to be out there and any advice you have for people that are navigating corporate America and trying yeah. to figure out how to be themselves. Yeah, I mean, one, it, it, it's complicated. And, and I don't begrudge anybody that's code switching or hiding or bringing just a force of themselves to work. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like people have to eat. And, and I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to hate on anybody that's like, you know, making compromises around that. 
what I will say is that there are alternatives and you don't have to make those compromises. And it's actually, it's fair. But I recognize that I come from a place of privilege. And this is going to sound really bizarre because my place of privilege is that I grew up in an extraordinarily racist environment. Because I grew up in an extraordinarily racist environment, I learned very early that other people's opinions of me don't matter as much as my own opinion of myself. Something you know that I love to tell people is the only man I need respect from is my daddy. The only woman's love I need is my mama's, right? And because of that, that helps me be grounded in being actually my, my authentic and true self. Oddly enough, believe it or not, for the majority of my professional career, everybody's actually called me Flea. Um, and, and I know that I've stuck out. And for me, it was actually almost like a badge of honor because at a minimum, I could never go back further than that, right? Like, like, and, and that allowed me to stay sane, especially with some of the jobs that I've had. Like most of the jobs we have, especially in tech, finance, et cetera, just security in general, especially people asking me if I have to do physical security or in your case, also being in the military, those are stressful jobs. And then having to you know compound that with more stress of trying to pretend to be something that you're not or actually wearing a mask that, that is uncomfortable. At least for me, maybe I was actually too weak to actually be able to actually do some of these things. And, and so like, it was just easier for me to just try to be as much as myself as possible. Now, I will say that as I've gotten older, it's easier for me to actually be more authentically me. And some of that is, you know, maybe that, that Wanda Sykes kind of aspect. Like, hey, I just don't care anymore. I just don't like some of those things just don't matter to me. Other parts of just like me just maturing as a human and just learning what I'm actually more comfortable with in my own skin. And, and that's a journey for everybody. Like regardless of what your race, uh, your background, et cetera, everybody is on a journey of becoming more authentically themselves. It's just that some of us have to separate that in a work and a personal side. And I, I decided that I wanted to try to do more of that also in work because I'm also being more authentically myself personally. Yeah, I think that's like one of the biggest things that I, I hope to gain out of conversations that we're having on this podcast. When we talk about to comply or not to comply, it's not just about cybersecurity compliance. It's about your life. It's about going through the typical norms. And I think being authentic is not complying. People are not used to authenticity. And, and one of the things I tell people all the time that a key to success for me, at least that I feel has been self-awareness becoming more aware about just who I am and, and what I believe and then saying, all right, like that's who you are, AJ. So that's who you're good. Like just act out and believe in that instead of being someone else. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you think it sounds like you, you, you kind of had that same experience of that self-awareness very early on that you know who you are. Especially in the corporate environment. If there are people that have various perceptions based on like how you look, et cetera, there's actually nothing I can do about that. Like, you know, I know a lot of people are, are you know, obviously just listening to this on audio. For those that haven't seen me, I am black. Like I'm black, black. I got the wide Michael Jackson nose, the big lips. I love it. You know, like uh, when I had hair, I had a huge kid and play, you know, flat top, that kind of thing. And, and so there was nothing I could do that was ever going to change somebody that was already just going to be biased against me. So because of that, why should I, I decided I didn't want to suffer mentally myself of having to capitulate, try to make these changes, or in the scenario you're actually describing here, comply or not to comply, I decided not to comply because compliance meant pain towards me. And it also meant lower performance for me. And by not complying, I actually delivered a better product. And, and that was actually just something just overall, just for my own personal satisfaction and, and Ideally, hopefully for people in my lives, as well as like, you know, companies that I've worked at, it's actually been a, a good path. And it's just one of those things that just certain things that it's not worth trying to change for. 
I'm from Mississippi. I have an accent. And especially if I'm around other Mississippi folks or other people from the South, you will hear it come out. And I can fight against that, but that energy could be better spent elsewhere. And, you know, you know, now that we're you're getting founders that, that, that such as yourself that look like you, come from backgrounds like yours, we're creating a world where more and more people can actually be authentic in the workplace and deliver a better product. Um, and, and so I need to do my part also of making that world possible by at least presenting myself as authentically as I can or as authentically as I feel comfortable with. So I can make it easier for other people that are around me to recognize, like, oh, yeah, they can be authentic. They can show up to work with purple hair and, you know, a samurai outfit or whatever. Whatever actually, if that's how they live, that's how they live. And, that's, and I want them to actually be like that in real life and to be comfortable showing up that way because you get better output out of people when you treat them like a person. And a person is multifaceted, comes from all different backgrounds, and they come with a personal story and a personal journey that contributes to why you actually hired them and contributes to what's going to make them successful. So, so true. So true. And I, I think one of the things that I've enjoyed about being in this profession is I started as a leader. I started in people leadership in the army. So I didn't learn tech first. I learned people, which has helped me tremendously because that's a big part of the job, especially with what I'm doing now. And in, in before when I was um, a, a senior leader before, and one of the things I've learned here is it's fascinating when I work with some younger black folks that are either at Bite Check or elsewhere and they see like, oh, AJ's a regular black dude. This is not, this isn't the game. He's just, he's just like me. And then they start to be themselves and those moments are huge for me. Talk to me a little bit about anytime you being authentic, you have any like success stories or somebody that was impacted by seeing your authenticity and that representation and they felt like they can be themselves. I feel weird talking about this just because I don't, I don't want to take credit for somebody else's success. I will say this. I have had employees and people that have worked with me and, and even, you know, mentees say that because they got to actually work with me, they felt more comfortable actually bringing their full self. And they were actually also comfortable expressing pain and expressing problems and also navigating the corporate environment in a way that they didn't have opportunities for previously. And, and this isn't to diminish anybody from like a majority population or et cetera. But those are actually things that a lot of people in a majority population might just take for granted. I have nothing against people that golf. That's just not how I grew up though. I didn't grow up golfing, right? And so my way of actually bonding with somebody is going to be different. Now, maybe if you grew up in the suburbs and you grew up around people that actually were golfing, hey, you actually can have that connection with the CEO or that head of sales when they go on that golf trip. Well, I can't give that to you, but I can actually maybe give you something that's similar that maybe it's even also that resonates with something that actually came from your background. So when I talk about, hey, I'm making Thanksgiving dinner and we're having sweet potato pie, there are people on my team that actually recognize what that is and know what that means. And that actually resonates with them and it makes them feel included and welcomed and seen in a way that they maybe haven't been before. And, and that gives them the confidence to actually come forward and say like, hey, you know what, flee. I want to talk about my compensation. And it may be the first time they've actually felt comfortable talking to a leader about something like that. They may say like, hey, Flea, I want to think about getting promoted. Hey, Flea, I want to think about getting a different job. Can you actually give me a recommendation? And I think the best thing that I can do right now is to be kind of what, what we call inside my company, you know, be, be, being that good grumpy uncle for people to help support them, help actually point them in the right direction, occasionally give them that tough love. And that tough love coming from me feels different to them than coming from somebody that may not actually share a common background. And it, it removes some of the anxiety around certain things. So I've definitely been in that position where I'm like, was it me or was that person biased? 
sometimes it can actually de-escalate things if you actually come from a similar background. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's always the case, right? Yeah, there's definitely going to be people who have the same skin color as you, maybe the same religion as you, the same, you know, sex, whatever, that, that you can be completely 100% on different pages. But I, I will say that it does help and it can help people feel more comfortable to at least start having some of those conversations. Yeah, and that's why I think representation is so important. It just makes things easier when you're talking to someone that you feel like has that shared experience that feels like, all right, like they may not have, maybe, you know, you're from Mississippi. I grew up in Southern California, but we have similar experiences and there's some shared struggle there that I understand. When you talk about your family that we, we've talked about before, a big family, I come from a big family. I know what it's like to be in a house with a ridiculous amount of brothers and sisters and just pure chaos. And there's just that that familiar structure that I think when people talk about representation, to me, that's what they're really talking about is I now know there's someone out there that is at a different level than me. They've been through some of the same mental things that I've been through, the same imposter syndrome, like you said, is it me or is it the bias? And then you can just get to normalize a lot of this stuff. And and representation to me has been so important just for my career. But then now what I do for a living, I, I think it's really important for me to be public and to do these podcasts. And you're obviously someone that does a lot of podcasts. You write, you, you produce a lot of content and and make sure that you're seen. Is, is that important to you just to be a representative and, and be public in, in your role that you're in? Oh, yeah. And I would encourage everybody. Everybody has a story to tell. For me, I, I think part of the value is, one, actually, I get to talk to people like you, and actually, I get to be challenged on my ideas. I get to learn different things. I get to hear about d- different aspects. That helps. Like, learning and hearing other people's stories improves my story, right? Because I, I now have a new wrinkle in my brain. I have a new perspective, and I can now start to extend and expand my empathy. And, and I'll talk a little, little bit about empathy in a bit. Taking my position and for, for whatever it's worth, because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just a CISO. I'm literally just another human. I just happen to work in tech and I happen to have a title. That title, though, gets people's attention to actually pay attention to certain things, right? So if I didn't have that C-level title, would Fortune have cared about my conversation about recruiting? No, they wouldn't. But because of that, we actually now get to have a conversation and other people get to learn about, hey, what does this mean? So those things are actually important in that aspect. If I didn't have this title, would I be, you know, co-hosting a podcast, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but it does allow me to actually get other people to respond. And I say like, Hey, you know, I, I want John Threat on the podcast. We get to have John Threat on the podcast. We actually get, so people will respond to that. And it allows me to utilize my privilege to also start elevating and showcasing other voices that maybe hadn't been heard before. And then other people get to see that. And I was directly impacted by that as, as a young person. Like, John Threat was one of my heroes, right? When, when Corrupt was out there doing his thing, and, and you can put it in the show notes for people that can look up who I'm talking about. He was the first real Black person that I'd seen doing anything with computers. And I was like, I want to be like that. I, I, I need to do that, right? That makes a difference. This whole idea of, like, hey, if you can see it, you can be it, ma- makes a real difference. I said I wanted to touch a little bit on, on empathy, and that's where... You know, having a shared background or a shared common understanding or at least understanding each other's stories is a shortcut for improved empathy. You know, just because I'm male doesn't mean that I can't be empathetic towards a woman actually, you know, in a struggle. Now, it's going to take me a little bit longer because I, I don't have as much of the context. I haven't lived all those same experiences and I probably can't identify as much as I would like to. But by hearing those stories, by seeing people like that, it makes my empathy better. It makes it stronger. 
And, and that's one of the things I think a lot of people are actually looking for in the workplace. They're actually looking for empathy. So like, hey, so when I want to approach my boss or approach my, my coworker, I want to know that when I'm talking to them about a problem, that they actually have empathy for me on that. And when you don't have shared backgrounds or when you don't have somebody that understands kind of like the whole spectrum of humanity and all the diversity there is, then it can make that empathy journey much, much harder. When you have all that, all that shared background, it's so much easier. You know, this isn't something that you're born with. You can, you can definitely learn it. People can improve on these things. And it's not like just a dead end. Like you don't have to have been born black to actually care about black people. You don't have to be white to care about white people. We can all do these things. You don't have to be Asian to care about Asian. You don't have to be you know, transgender to care about transgender. It's just, but some of these things, if you have that in your life, if you are that, it just makes that journey shorter. And by telling my story and sharing other people's stories and using my platform to do that, I can just help, at least I hope, all of humanity that you get at least a little bit closer to being more empathetic to each other. Absolutely. I think empathy is the number one skill for a leader. Without empathy, I think you can't effectively be a good leader. And I had to learn, like you said, it, it's not something that is born with. It's something that you can learn. And I had to learn it as a as an army officer because my default was I'm going to crush you every time you make a mistake. You're going to do push-ups. You're going to be out there you know, running, doing all the things. And I had to learn like, hey, sometimes your soldiers have stuff going on outside of this army thing. Sometimes somebody at home has an issue, especially in deployed environments, you know, you you have to lead with empathy at all times. So I'm glad you said that. And I'm really glad you talked about the fact that it's not something that you, it's not something that you, you have to be born with, that you can learn it. Because I think oftentimes people too much, they, they focus on who they've been and not who they can become. And if you're not empathetic today, does not mean you cannot change. Just like you said, if you're not black, you can still care about black people. You can still do these things and change your life. And, and something else you said there about titles that I've really adapted my mentality on because I used to be the one, titles don't matter, who cares about titles? And I realized that now in my current position, you know, I just woke up one day and called myself a CEO. So I'm, you know, I'm just another guy. No one, no one made me a CEO. I just called myself that. However, I understand that if I do something with that title or if I go talk to someone with that title, it means something and it, and it means something to people. And I think that's something that us, you know, as minorities in leadership positions, we often try to downplay ourselves. Oh, a title doesn't matter. But I'm glad that you mentioned it, like, because it does matter. It matters for us to get the word out and then also impact people. You know, you as a chief security officer having a conversation with an entry level guy that just is trying to break into the field that's life-changing for that person. That will change their lives. And I wish and I hope that when people listen to this, they encourage more folks to, to do that. If you have a title, spend some time with someone. Your title actually does matter a lot. I mean, having a title doesn't mean you're entitled, right? And and, and, and if you can embrace that aspect, and and, and obviously you were in, you're in the service, so you definitely, you definitely know this idea of servant leaders, right? It's like th th that title isn't, it's a responsibility, and and but it's a privilege to have that responsibility, and, and we're supposed to do something with it, right? But it, it, it isn't like, hey, just because I have a title doesn't mean I'm better than AJ, doesn't mean I'm better than, than Tommy, doesn't mean I'm better than Sally. It means I have a different job, and like for whatever reason, I earned that that job to some extent. And there are there some things you can maybe actually learn from, both positive and negative. I I, I hope so. And are there some things that that title affords me? Yes, that 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 that, that is true. But hopefully. 
I live up to my own personal expectation, the expectation of my parents that I use the title for good and to help bring other people up as opposed to some way to actually separate us and say like, oh, well, yeah, I'm better than you or yada, yada. The title doesn't make, mean I'm better right, than anybody. Right, exactly. Right. Um, it's all about impact. It's, that's, that's what it all comes down to is how can we impact. And speaking of titles, uh, let's talk a little bit about CISOs. I was talking with one of our customers today and, and they just recently got promoted to be a CISO. So they were super nervous. She was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's, it's a new role. So for you, you know, you're seasoned, you've built security programs, you've, you've been really doing this thing for a very long time. What's some advice you have, you know, something outside of the box and unique a new CISO could do as they're joining an organization? You know, something that you've done in the past that has been very successful for if I'm stepping into this role and I'm like, all right, I want to set myself up for success in 90 days, six months from now. What, what would you tell them? Yeah, like one of the very first things that I, I think a new CISO should do is meet as many people inside the business and figure out how you can accelerate what they're doing. Like one of the most powerful things that a security uh, team can do and a security leader can do is make the business move faster. And, and there's actually uh, so many other ways. There's so many ways actually do that. And, and we can even talk about, you know, things in your world as well as just like general engineering, et cetera. But you have an opportunity as a CISO to help the business take more risk. And that, that, that sounds crazy. That, that sounds crazy. It sounds almost uh, antithetical to actually being a CISO. But really what security is about is about risk management. And if you can actually do risk management well, that means that you can actually allow your company and help the company do things that other companies can't. One of my favorite things to do is to set a company up so that they actually get to do what they want, not do what they can. There's a very big difference there. You think about Square, you know, one of, one of our previous employers. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of regulations around payments, et cetera, and things like that. But Square decided like, hey, we're going to get really creative and we're going to go outside the box and we're going to chart a new path. Like, yeah, everybody else, maybe they're going to be stuck with really crappy credit card readers and really, really horrible experiences. But we decided that Square is like, nope, we want a better future than that. And we're going to be really innovative. We're going to figure out a way to do this securely. And because we can do it securely, that means that now we can actually take credit cards on somebody's phone. Or, hey, we can allow you to actually transfer Bitcoin using your cell phone and those kind of things. Things that actually would be crazy for other people. And that's what I mean by a security team taking that, that position and then a CISO taking that position of figuring out how to accelerate the business and figuring out how to allow the business to do what it wants and not just what it can. Because, yeah, like there are tons of mediocre businesses that are just getting by and they're just saying like, oh, well, hey, yep, we, we did all the compliance check boxes and it was literally just the check boxes. But because they weren't really thinking about uh, the question of to comply or not to comply, um, they weren't able to really actually push their business forward and actually take opportunities further. And, and, and I love the title of your of your your podcast because I think that's actually the fundamental question that CISO has to wrestle with is to comply or not to comply. And I would argue that 90% of the time you can always comply, but you have to be really creative. And, and so like some of that trade-off isn't exactly the trade-offs that people think that they are. Absolutely. I think the one thing that I see successful security people do is what you described. They focus on how to help the business, not how to help themselves. Uh, the ones that are not successful are focusing on how to help themselves. And I, oh, I'm the security guy. I'm doing all these things. You can't do anything. Not going to work. Uh, most businesses are not in the business of security. They're in the business of something else. And you have to enable them to do things. And I think your point of I read a lot of books recently about like the first 90 days of someone joining an organization and almost every single book or article I read, 
the first thing it says to do is go talk to people. Just go meet yeah. people. Just go have conversations and just figure out what people do. Not for no ulterior motive. Just, you know, what do you do to, on a day-to-day basis? Where are you from? Get to know people because all of the technology we use, all the stuff that we do, it doesn't really matter. if it, It's about the people behind it. And, and we should really be focusing on, and, and that's one of the things that we talk a lot about at Bite Check is we're, you know, we're here behind the scenes. Compliance is not something that needs to be in front and stopping you from doing something. If you just focus on the security stuff, focus on your business, the compliance stuff will generally work itself out if you're doing the right things. Uh, so that, that was that was perfect for you to say here. And, you know, one additional question here about CISOs, right? I, I work with a lot of them regularly. I help them solve some really challenging problems. And it seems to me like security practitioners have this view that compliance and security are opposing forces, uh, where compliance is a requirement for most companies, but it's not really seen as a security benefit. Why do you think that is? And, and what's your, your response to people that think security and compliance are opposing forces? It hurts my feelings. Not because what you said is inaccurate from people's experiences or what they articulate, but because the people that have those views are often wrong. So for me, compliance and security go hand in hand. And, and it's frustrating that we even talk about them as, as separate things. My shorthand when I actually try to articulate to people about a, a compliance, compliance tells the story of security. And compliance isn't a blocker. Your security program might be a blocker, but it's not the compliance that's a blocker. It, it, it would be like me going, you know, to the doctor and, you know, and I get my physical and my doctor says like, oh, well, hey, Flea, you, you, you're, you're overweight again. It's like, yep. Well, that has nothing to do with the scale. The scale isn't bad. The scale is just telling the story of me and my eating habits. Like, yeah, I should cut back on the sweet potato pie. I should cut back on the barbecue and the sweet tea. But I'm not going to do those things. So I guess maybe that's an area where I don't comply. But I, I think, you know, the people that you have kind of seen that is, is because of maybe some antagonistic relationships in the past, where oftentimes they have dealt with people in the compliance field that were auditors and not assessors. And there is a difference. And, and I've learned this, this myself. Like there's a difference between somebody who just wants to come in and say like, hey, here's all the things you're doing wrong. And here's the check marks, pluses and minus versus somebody who's like, hey, here's what your environment looks like. This is what you said you did. Hey, here's actually what you really are doing. And maybe you should think about, you know, making this change or, hey, if you, you know, made this other alteration, if you can prove this control, you maybe have a different outcome and your risk perspective would be different. That's an assessor and that's actually great compliance. And that's where you actually get a lot of true value. And I would say that even those people actually going through any kind of like compliance regimen or something like that, hey, if they have to do PCI, they have to do SOC 2, they have to do ISO 27001, those are such valuable things to get back if you look at it the right way. Now, you can look at it as just saying like, hey, I passed or failed, which I guess is fine. But you can also look at it and say like, hey, now I have an improvement plan. Here's some things I can actually do so I can actually strive to actually have an even better security program. One of the things that I think a lot of people miss out on, the fact that as a security practitioner and a CISO, anybody that's a, embedded inside of a company, you are naturally going to get tunnel vision and you're naturally going to diminish your ability to actually find all those edge cases inside of your environment. But by bringing in a good external assessor or even just an internal assessor that, that knows to be you know unbiased, you can actually uncover a lot of things that can improve your existing security program. And you can say, OK, so next time you can say, oh, our training numbers weren't as great as we would like. And our assessor actually was able to actually uncover some places where we missed. OK, well, now we actually have an opportunity to actually improve. You know, it's really about how you actually want to perceive uh, compliance. Because compliance, when utilized well, dramatically improves security programs. And, and, and it shouldn't be looked at as a 
necessary evil or something begrudging or something like that. It's really about like, hey, how do you actually get better at your program? Maybe the better way to actually even maybe think about it, since I already mentioned kind of like the the physical exam from a doctor, is maybe actually more like going to a personal trainer. And the personal trainer is actually checking your form. You're saying like, hey, you know, I want to get, I'm trying to, you know, increase my, my bench press or I'm trying to increase my squat. And having somebody there can actually watch exactly what I'm doing and say, like, oh, well, hey, Flea, if you put your elbows like this, you might be able to actually, you know, lift another five pounds or something in your bench. You know, it's those kind of things. And I think that's where good assessors come into play, like people like Bike Tech, where it's actually, it's really like something that actually really telling you how you can improve what you're already doing and asking tough questions to hold you accountable to what you've already said you want to be accountable for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think often you hear this whole compliance isn't security thing. And like, cool, I agree with that. That's a good statement. But security is compliance. And, and that's what we need to get people to understand. And, and I agree with you. I think the problem when I've and I learned this before starting Bite Check is on the auditors and, and, and those folks, because they've over the years have stripped away the value of this because a security professional knows, all right, I'm hosted in four different regions on AWS, and this auditor keeps asking me for screenshots of my security groups. Do I give them the full other regions and tell them that this is only a regional screenshot in the console, or do I just give them this and tell them to move on? Most of the time, they're just going to give them the bad screenshot because they're like, whatever, man, I'm just trying to get through this so I can move on and go about my weekend. And we really have to, I think, both on the auditor side, auditors have to decide that they're going to learn technology. Like if you're an auditor and your clients are hosted in the cloud, you should know a little bit about the cloud. You should be able to know how to assess that. And then on the flip side, I think companies need to demand more during the recruiting process of their auditors and say, hey, like I'm hosted on Azure. Do you have an Azure expert? Not, you know, you wouldn't go to a, a heart doctor for a foot problem. So, so, so don't go to a manual auditor for your cloud environment. And I, and I think that's where we can really start to shift things as companies demand more auditors get better and we just keep holding each other accountable. It comes back to compliance, like, right? Let's hold each other accountable to do a good job. It's funny that, that you mentioned that. One of the best assessments I ever actually had was uh, New York Department of Financial Services. They had an assessor that really knew their stuff and they're like, they asked really explicit, deep questions and I actually got to talk to them about explicitly how algorithms work, like, hey, what the code was doing. I got excited about that because I knew, that, hey, this is actually somebody that, one, that you're actually going to be able to better articulate the story of my security program. But they were also going to actually call me out on BS. And, and, and I find that actually be a good thing. Like, yeah, you, you can totally, you can, you can audit shop. We all know that. You, you can find, you can, especially when you're actually doing some of the commercial compliances, things like SOC 2, et cetera. You can, yeah, you can go out and actually find somebody that's going to just make you pass. But you're not actually getting as much value out of that, at least longer term for your company and definitely not for your customers. When you actually get somebody who's really going to be regimented that understands the tech, that can actually say like, hey, no, I actually know exactly what AWS is because I've built a bunch of stuff in there myself. In fact, my product is in AWS. That makes a big difference because I know that that kind of person that can call me out and they can help me deliver more secure outcomes. And this is the thing I think a lot of people forget about. Compliance can help you deliver more secure outcomes. And that is the ultimate goal of security. It's so true. And I think we'll hopefully with this podcast, with these conversations, with more security professionals that start to believe in compliance, we can bring some value to it. Companies are spending way too much money, way too much time on these things to not get the value out of them. So if you're going to go through it, 
at least get something out of it. You know, it's a huge investment. So you might as well improve it, improve it for your customers, improve it for your people. You don't want to have your engineers spending time with an auditor and they're asking crazy questions because they have better things to do. <laughs> they have a lot more important things to do. So make that time useful. I, I 100% agree with all of that that you said there. Flea, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. You know, it's a really fun conversation. Always enjoy catching up with you and, and learning a lot. Let the listeners know where they can find you. You mentioned your podcast, where they can learn more about you and, and any last words for folks tuning in. Yeah, so you can catch me, Cat Valentine, Jeff Mann, and some others, Security and Compliance Weekly every Tuesday. But outside of that, I'm, I'm really easy to find on LinkedIn. You just have to find, you know, Frederick Lee. There aren't that many of us. Look for the black Frederick Lee, not the Korean Frederick Lees. And then I, I am a little bit active on, on Twitter. And we can just put that maybe in the show notes or whatever. But uh, AJ, thank you so much for having me on. This is such, such a pleasure. And it's actually a, a great topic. And uh, yeah, I, I want to hear more from other people who want to talk about to comply or not to comply. It's a great question. Great question. Yeah, we're excited about it. We're going to have some really cool guests. So appreciate you again, Flea, for joining us. That's a wrap for the first episode of To Comply or Not to Comply. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening and hit subscribe and review. Peace.